rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Well, welcome to another episode of Rumors of Grace. I have an extra special friend on the phone with me today. I know I say that on many of my podcasts, but today it is very special. Um, my friend Rabbi Nolan Leibovitz is on the phone with me, and he is calling in from West LA, where he is the rabbi at Adat Shalom at the synagogue there. Um, my friend Nolan was a filmmaker in his prior life, decided to become a rabbi, and then became a filmmaker again. And so now he does both. Um, I have enjoyed him thoroughly. Our friendship has grown over the past few years. Uh, and anytime in LA, if I get a chance to see him, I do that. And he does the same when he comes to Nashville. So I'm really looking forward uh, to this conversation today. So, so welcome to the podcast, Nolan. Thanks for having me, Bob. It's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, I know we saw each other uh, a few months ago, and uh, actually, it's probably been longer than that now. It's probably been a year, hasn't it? Not last time I was out there, uh, almost exactly a year ago, uh, end of end of February, March or so of of 2018. Uh, I know lots have been going on in in your life and and in your synagogue there. Can you just give us kind of an overview of of what your daily life is like or what your weekly life is like uh, there in West L.A.? Sure, sure. So uh, my life, well, first I'm a, you know, I'm married and I have three kids. Um, And so my life at home is uh, is rather chaotic. Um, But when I come to (laughs) When I come to the synagogue uh, to find some uh, peace and quiet, um, I, my job consists of prayer services and sermons that we call um, divrei Torah or a devar Torah, which means that you teach a, a, a matter of Torah or a, a piece of Torah, um, like a piece of Bible. Uh, and... Um, you know, I, I respond to um, to pastoral needs of congregants. Um, my favorite part of the day is I call each congregant or email each congregant whose birthday is that day, and mm-hmm. uh, no matter no matter what's going on, no matter you know if I have a congregant who is sick or um, uh, you know, God forbid, if I have a funeral that day. Um, it always helps to have somebody uh, in my pocket that I can call uh, to say happy birthday because people love happy birthday calls. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And and that those are the the things of of ministry, whether you're a pastor or a rabbi, um, that people don't see. They see the glory of standing up on a uh, in front of a pulpit or giving an amazing message, but they don't see all the behind the scenes stuff. Right. No. And, and much of the week is meetings and um, and uh, evenings are taken with committee meetings and budget talks and, you know, any nonprofit organization. You know, um, I had a teacher in rabbinical school who said that um, uh, a synagogue is a house of prayer housed in a larger nonprofit organization. 
Mm. Uh, and I think that's true for most churches as well. Um, you know, I think that there is uh, there is a, a a preparation for the holy work that people see on Shabbat morning or Sunday morning or whatever it might be. But most people don't think about the holy work that it takes each and every day um, to keep the organization, you know, strong and healthy, uh, so that those services can go on. Yeah, yeah, that that's beautiful. And and what I what I've appreciated about what you're doing there um, is the sense, the strong sense of community. Uh, that you foster and maintain, and I think what I hear you saying is that in order to to keep those strands connected and keep that community strong, which impacts and connects every other area of life, it, it takes work. It's not something that just happens organically. No, it doesn't happen organically. Um, but the truth is that when a, a spirit of uh, community is fostered, mm-hmm. um, I feel like it, it becomes contagious. And when people taste um, community in the best sense of the word, um, when people feel like they have friends and neighbors that they can speak to, that they can rely on, that they see for dinner and, and important moments in their life, um, I think that uh, I think that the uh, the heavy lifting is is all in the beginning because once people get a taste of it, um, it's what people really yearn for, uh, especially in, in society today. Mm, mm, that's so good. Um, let's transition a little bit. Uh, I, I know your background was in filmmaking and, uh, I've interviewed you and talked about you before on other podcasts that I've done, but in a nutshell, I know, um, you and your brother, uh, and, and you had some nominal, you know, pretty B level success and in, in the kind of slasher film arena, you had a, had a film that was picked up by Sony. You had some stars on that. And it seemed as though you were, uh, kind of taking the trajectory in a real positive way to, to making it in Hollywood. And one day you just kind of uh, had the realization, or maybe not in a day, it, it was a process for sure, that this, isn't what, this wasn't the tra- trajectory you really wanted for your life. Um, and you decided to, to go to, to seminary and become a rabbi. Can you just kind of spend a couple of minutes? I, I, I don't want us to go deep in that because we, I, I have other things I want to cover, but that, that to me is really fascinating. Can you talk just briefly about that? Sure. Yeah. I, I, um, just to give you a a brief glimpse, I think I was 29 and, um, not to correct you, not that I would ever correct you, Bob, but I either had a (laughs) lot of success on the B level or I had nominal success. Um, but, uh, I was, I think on a path, um, where I, where my career was, you know, on a path moving forward. And, um, I was 29 years old and, um, I was married and we just had our oldest daughter. Uh, and, uh, just to give you an idea now she's, she just turned 10, which is mind boggling. And, um, we just purchased our, uh, our townhouse and I was watching, um, the, the film, the ring, mm-hmm. um, over and over because um, my agents had told me that uh, there were producers that were looking for an elevated version of the ring. 
And so I, I just had kind of this moment where I was sitting there watching this, you know, horrifyingly scary movie, great movie, but, you know, really not the type of movie that I, that one would think that they would be sitting there watching with their, you know, infant daughter. Um, and, uh, you know, thinking to myself, is this really, is this the purpose of my life? Is this the reason why I'm here, um, you know, to, to pitch horror films for the rest of my life? Um, you know, was I was I put on Earth to find you know the elevated ring, which, by the way, I think is very elevated on its own. Sure. And all the ring fans out there, so that listen to your podcast. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, it, it was that kind of awakening. In, in Judaism, really doesn't have the language for an awakening or a right. call, or that's not typically language that's used by rabbis to explain why they pursued a. Uh, a life's work in the rabbinate or in the pulpit or in chaplaincy or anything like that. Um, and in that way, I often find it's, it's easier to speak to Christian audiences sometimes right. about the transition in my life. Uh, to because it, it, it was it was a bit of an awakening in that sense, right? That's exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. Um, and, uh, and it was surprising to a lot of people that were, you know, really important in my life who, thank God, have been, you know, supportive uh, of me you know, uh, throughout the, throughout the entire journey. That's awesome. Yeah. I, 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 I always love that story because, um, you know, it, it's, it makes a lot of sense once I got to know you, um, and you're, you're an amazing, uh, rabbi, you're a good friend and you're very smart and I can see how that's a perfect fit for you. But I also see that, that you're, a that you're a great filmmaker and storyteller. And I think, you know, a, a good minister, a good leader, a good rabbi has to be a good storyteller and has to be a good communicator. So well, I, to, appreciate that. And, you know, I, I honestly thought, and I know I've said this before many times. So if I said this to you, uh, forgive me, but I, I honestly thought that I had wasted the previous 10 years of my life. I thought that I'd wasted the time from film school to when I, went to begin studying to be a rabbi. And, um, and it wasn't until I made the documentaries roadmap Genesis and roadmap Jerusalem, uh, that I realized that actually, um, there must've been some kind of plan. Like it's Mm -hmm. time is never wasted. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the, the ultimate purpose of me bringing together my skill set of filmmaking and my skill set of, you know, loving, Torah and loving the Jewish tradition, um, uh, and loving and loving faith traditions in general. Um, that ultimate synthesis was was probably in in some plan from the very beginning. Mm, that's good. You know, um, not to shift gears here, but it, on this podcast, it has kind of evolved, you know, into a place where people can discuss their faith journeys. And for many people I have on this podcast, it's kind of all over the spectrum. Um, and I, and I wanted to get someone from a Jewish perspective and a Jewish mind, because I think, as you said, those of us who come from a Christian tradition or, or even other traditions, we have certain language, uh, and frameworks that, that we're able to interpret and see the lens of our own personal journey through. And it's always fascinating to me to, uh, allow myself to step into someone else's shoes and realize that, 
you know, maybe their language is a little different and their perspective is different. So as we as we kind of talk through uh, some of your own journey and your your own kind of walk, I, I can already see in the last several years since you've gone to seminary and now now that you're at your own synagogue, um, how your faith walk is evolving and continuing to to walk, and and I think that's beautiful. Um, what I have appreciated about uh, the Jewish mind is that. In your faith, uh, you welcome that and encourage it, and it's something that, you know, whether it's uh, reading and interpreting Torah or discussing the Talmud, uh, your tradition for thousands of years is you wrestle with it, you discuss it, you argue it, you you welcome the unknown and the doubt, um, and I think that's a beautiful thing, um, right. and that's something that. M- you know, this in other certain types, whether it be Christian, uh, especially many times in more traditional Christian traditions, there is a lack of being able to wrestle with doubt. And there is a sense of certainty many times that accompanies that. Um, And that's one of the things that I talk a lot about with guests on this podcast is how do you wrestle with uncertainty and doubt and fear and pain and when life doesn't go the way that you want it to go and your faith says one thing but you experience another. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you see your faith tradition in that context, both in your personal life and how you're able to be um, pastoral uh, as a rabbi and other people's in your congregation with that. Wow, such a such a profound question. <laughs> Sorry, um, no, 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 no. I, I just um, uh, it, it might take me a minute. Um, the the truth is that um, Judaism does encourage um, Judaism writ large encourages people to struggle with big questions, with deep questions. Mm. Um, we very much. Uh, I mean, if you look at the at the book of Genesis, at uh, the introduction of the word Israel, uh, it's given to Jacob after he wrestles the angel. Right. And um, and uh, so Israel means um, you know wrestle wrestle wrestling with God. Mm. Uh, and we are we think of ourselves we are the children of Israel. Right. We are the children of that of that wrestler. And so. Uh, you know, in the same way that Abraham uh, questioned God uh, in the justice that was being uh, doled out to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jacob wrestles with the angel, uh, I think that um, there is a long-standing tradition. Moses stands up for the the um, the Israelites uh, uh, on behalf of the Israelites to God. Um, there's a long-standing tradition that um, that we have the faculty to um, to figure things out. Uh, you know, things are not beyond our understanding. Um, and so when we look at the world, uh, I think that we, our tradition has allowed us to ask questions about purpose and questions about relevance, uh, especially, you know, we might be getting a little bit into inside baseball, but as a conservative Jew, as a conservative rabbi, and when I say conservative, I don't mean like liberal versus conservative. I mean, you know, conservative is the denomination in between orthodoxy and reform. Right. Uh, 
you know, I always see my role as making the tradition relevant to people's lives today. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we meld the two where the same Jewish tradition that was observed by Moses and Rabbi Akiva and uh, and, and and all of the great uh, you know and, and Rashi and Rambam Maimonides how if they walked into our synagogue would they understand this is very much their tradition and at the same time would they look at it and say huh. I'm really glad that they updated that for, you know, 2019, (laughs) you know, and I think that, I think that in that way, we always have to remain connected. Um, Abraham Joshua Heschel gives a a great analogy of a, of a bridge. So, you know, my life and um, uh, my life is basically a a link in this, you know, in this, uh, in this bridge or a a brick in the bridge. Um, Somehow, you know, hopefully the you know it, it'll extend you know infinitely out. My kids will be the next link after me, um, and the tradition will continue and continue and continue. Um, and for the tradition to continue, it has to remain relevant, answering the questions that we have today. Now, mm. the, the difference in in the way that certain Jewish people, I think, um, uh, maintain the tradition, and other people maintain the tradition. Uh, is about prioritizing which questions need to be answered in 2019. Right. And I think that's, I think that that's a reality that we have to recognize not only inside the Jewish community, but inside of this amazing country that we live in, which is, you know, uh, if somebody votes uh, Republican, if somebody votes Democrat, um, it's not a matter of somebody hating this country or hating any of us. It's about just the different ways that we prioritize the list of what it is that we're voting for. Right. And, right. and, and that, that, I think, is, um, you know, if we all step back and say we probably all have the same, you know, top five or ten concerns. We yeah. just prioritize the list very, very differently. Um, you know, we, we could maybe have a, more of a society with, with, that's based on mutual respect and, and – uh, and giving people the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah, that that's as you know that that's a big thing of mine that uh, I know a lot of us, including yourself, Nolan, uh, wrestle with uh, because it seems like our country is more divided than ever, and um, the complexities of life are so many, uh, and the colors and the lenses that we see life through are so many. That to boil everything down to two options or a binary uh, way of looking at life is just not reality. Um, Exactly, and and that's why I think just to bring it back to to my role as a rabbi, I oftentimes lay out for people the entire Chinese menu of Jewish tradition options. (laughs) Right, and people people tend to pick and choose what it is that they want to do. In Judaism, we have a language of chosenness and commandedness that Hmm. I don't think exists as much in Christianity. Right. And so in that way, you know, if we believe that we were chosen for this specific path of Torah, if we think that we were chosen for this specific role in the world, um, then commandedness comes right along with it in the sense that we are commanded to do all of these obligatory rituals. 
Um, and today in 2019, you know, people don't feel quite as commanded as they did, you know, even a hundred years ago. So we have to make the case, um, of why people should actually follow these rituals. And I, I hate to say this, but people are actually, if, if you look at which rituals people follow, you can very quickly understand what is meaningful to people. Um, I, I think that, I think that people, nobody's walking away from Shabbat dinner. Nobody's walking away from Friday night dinner with their family. Um, people find great meaning in that. Uh, and at the same time, um, we also have to, uh, be more understanding in terms of uh, presenting the menu and not, you know, being as disappointed when someone, you know, selects, uh, you know, two appetizers instead of, you know, an appetizer, a main course and a dessert, exactly like we'd like it to be. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where I, I would love to spend a couple of minutes exploring um, there's a few other things that I want to talk to you about, but this, this, you've hit on something here that's really interesting because, um, when you say you lay out the menu and you give people the options, I know that in your specific, um, vein of, of Judaism, which is conservative Judaism, you've got, um, you certainly obey uh, Torah, uh, but, you you interpret it very differently than say an orthodox person would because an orthodox person would say well Nolan doesn't fully obey Torah because if he did he would dress like this and wear this and do this and then you've got people on the other side uh, of you and the other uh, if you keep going on that stream of reform Judaism who 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 may not observe any specific um, commandment so in that spectrum. Is there a sense, because I know in Christianity, there are a lot of um, denominations and people who look and observe and interpret scripture in different ways and take a lot of pride and um, priority in the way that they interpret and, quote, obey the scriptures. Uh, So you have some people that say, well, you've got to do this, this, and this in order to be a true Christian or to really be loved by God. And if you really love God, you would do this, this, and this, and this. And of course, everyone's comparing themselves to the person who doesn't quite do it as well as they do rather than the person that does it better. So do do you have that in Judaism as well? Of course. So, I mean, that's just, that's just human nature. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, 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 you know, and by the way, there, there are, there are, uh, judgmental Orthodox, uh, Jewish people, judgmental, judgmental conservative, judgmental reform. It, it works, you know, in all directions. Um, uh, and I'm sure you've got, uh, you know, uh, lots of judging in, in, uh, Christian communities. Well, the problem the, is, the problem is you only have three different sects. We have 40,000 denominations. Right. <laughs> no, we've got, we've got more. I, and I think that, I honestly think that denominations are, um, are, you know, on, a, on, on the downslope, let's just say. Sure. Um, I think that, I think that everybody, I think we've always had 40,000 denominations. <laughs> we've just used three sets of prayer books. Exactly. Um, so the, I'll just give you an example from last week. Um, member of our congregation, uh, beloved member, uh, passed away. And um, I meet with the family before the funeral, and I explain to them, you know, all of the customs and rituals associated with end of life. And, um, and um, 
I probably should have picked a more upbeat uh, story for this uh, for this podcast. But anyhow, um, so I explained to them that uh, uh, Shiva, the Jewish process of mourning, right, is traditionally seven days. Right. In this case, it wouldn't have been seven days. I think it would have been um, uh, uh, four days or something like that because of Passover. I forget when the funeral was exactly. But a lot of times people sit in my office and they say to me, well, we're not that religious or there's no way we're going to do seven days of Shiva. Okay. Now the tradition Shiva is spelled exactly like the Hebrew word of Sheva, meaning seven. So the idea is pretty intertwined. It comes from the fact that Joseph, the first mention of it that we know is uh, towards the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph sat uh, and mourned for his father, Jacob, for seven days. Hmm. And um, so this becomes like the first uh, mourning period in Judaism. Then we go on to a secondary mourning period and a third and, 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 um, and, and it evolves out from there. But, uh, this first mourning period of seven days. So when they say that there's no way that they're doing seven days, I could, I, I'm presented with an option as, as a rabbi, like, do I just tell them, no, it has to be seven days. That's exactly what has to be done. Or most of the time I listen to hear the family has an option that they've thought about. Mm. It certainly isn't the first time that they've, you know, uh, uh, thought about this. And most of the time they say to me, you know, Rabbi, we really feel more comfortable if we did um, three days of more, three days of Shiva um, uh, or, you know, we're going to do one day of Shiva with the community and then we're going to spend a few days just privately with our family. Uh, if you can come over and talk to us on one of those days, people choose all kinds of different options today that's meaningful for them. And, um, and I really think that that's an important step today is that people are, um, making Judaism meaningful for themselves. Hmm. It's no longer about, um, how much Judaism can we cram into somebody's brain? You know, it's about how much Judaism can we actually connect to somebody's heart and soul. Mm. And so while we'll always be a tradition that values scholarship, and we'll always be a tradition that values wisdom, uh, I, think, I think the fact that we are a wisdom tradition is what's uh, kept us around for thousands of years. Um, I think that um, the element that we seem to be adding in the 20th century more and more, now in the 21st century more and more, is um, is the you know the empathy and the connection and the community and um, and the heart and soul. Mm. That's really great. So if I hear you correctly, what 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 you're saying is you will always always keep the scholar, the scriptures, the commands alive, but you're more concerned at this point with the spirit of the law than you are the letter of the law. Is that, is that what I hear you saying? Well, as, as a rabbi, I'm concerned about both. But I think that as a congregational rabbi, I have to be understanding when somebody thinks that the letter of the law is too daunting for them. And, um, and I, I, uh, recently, I had a, um, uh, a colleague uh, use the analogy, well, all that you're doing is, you know, they say that they can't uh, kick that length of a field goal, so you're moving the field goal poles closer to them. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what we're doing. I think we're creating, we're allowing people to stay, to remain on the field. We're telling people that there is room for them inside the tradition, 
And um, I thoroughly believe that hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, there were Jews that in their moments of anguish were overwhelmed by seven days of Shiva. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they, um, I, I, I think that there were compassionate rabbis who met them there. That's great. That's I great. Think that's what we all do. I think that's the challenge before rabbis and pastors and imams and, and all the faith leaders is to try to walk alongside our congregants, mm. you know, whether it be in joy or whether it be in pain and, um, be able to put our armor on them and, 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 uh, and, and empathize. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, I was talking to, uh, uh, a, a, a former pastor on, on one of my podcasts, I think it was the last one, and he was a, a pastor for 30 years. And in, he, in his faith walk and tradition, he got to the point where he said, you know, I, I had to lay it all down because I got to the point in my, my ministry uh, that I really began to see the unity of, of, of all things. And I began to see some things about my own personal faith and, and faith tradition that uh, I just had to 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 lay to lay it down and really think about you know what my role was as as a healer as a person of faith and I really respected that about him but I but I wonder you know as you and I have talked in the past I want to get your kind of uh, thoughts on this. I know you're, that you, you studied a lot of uh, the Kabbalah, which is, you know, kind of talks about Jewish mysticism. And as I've studied uh, in the past few years about Christian mysticism, um, there seems to be a, a unifying thread when you read uh, Jewish mystics, some of the old Christian mystics, even some of the Sufis, there seems to be this, this similar thread that goes through them all. That uh, they were willing to sit in silence and in, um, you know, the recognition of love, the recognition of of the unknowing, the, you know, there's been a lot of writings about the dark night of the soul. But coming to the point uh, in your life and in your heart where you see the, the, the connectedness of all human beings and ultimately that thread that's in them all, um, Talk to me briefly about uh, your experience and what you studied when it comes to the Kabbalah and how there are those connections that you've seen. And maybe you're saying, you know what, I don't see any connection at all, but my, my gut tells me you do. What does what does that role or in, in your life and is your ministry uh, and maybe what you've learned at seminary and as you're continuing to learn? Because I want to hear about your further schooling that you're doing now in a minute. But but talk to me a little bit about Jewish mysticism uh, and, and where that came from. And is it, is it still alive? And it, does it have a place in your life? Uh, yeah, the answer to all of it is basically yes. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm an expert on Kabbalah as much as I love studying Kabbalah. Uh, but I will. So Kabbalah means in Hebrew, it's a, it's a tradition that's received. Mm. So, um, uh, the central core text of the Kabbalistic tradition is the Zohar. Mm-hmm. Um, much like all Jewish um, uh, traditions, uh, there has to be a central core text to the study. And so, um, 
I think that the the Zohar and um, later uh, many of the many of the uh, Hasidic traditions um, encourage a person to kind of open up their mind to the possibility of personal relationship with God. Hmm. So, and, and in many ways, I think we're all mystics in a way. Um, for instance, if you read the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis assumes a God that is very distant, a God that comes into the garden to ask Adam and Eve um, uh, what happened, um, looking for Adam and Eve, not, not knowing where Adam and Eve are necessarily. Uh, we could talk forever on, 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 the, on, the, the, on the Garden of Eden. Right. But um, Kabbalah, um, with the ten spherot or the ten realms, um, assume that, that, um, that, I can get, that I can personally um, elevate myself or elevate my knowledge of God um, and, and, and build a personal relationship mm-hmm. that will that will affect me, that will affect the world, and that perhaps will even affect God. Hmm. Um, and that, that personal relationship then opens up the possibility that even though you're in a different faith tradition, Bob, or right. whomever, you as a mystic might be searching for your own personal relationship with the ultimate being, right, the creator of the universe. Mm-hmm. And... However you access that relationship, I want to hear about it, and I want to know you, and in some ways, we don't have the large barriers of our own faith traditions to, to, to leap. Hmm. We're, we're much closer saying, I personally feel connected this way, and you personally feel connected this way. Hmm. There is no Judaism at large or Christianity at large. The, the, the only difference I'll say and um, uh, is this. For Jewish mystics and for um, uh, Jewish you know, Hasidic movements, let's say in the 17th, 18th, you know, 19th, 20th, 21st centuries, um, they don't, um, you know, they don't walk away from Jewish law or halakha, right. Right. Uh, in order to become mystics. Right. Uh, Kabbalah ends up being a layer that's laid onto the whole package. Right. Uh, and in that way, I think it, it adds depth to every aspect of Jewish practice and Jewish communal life and Jewish tradition um, in a beautiful and poetic way. Um, so the difference, I think, between Kabbalah and, you know, new agey right. med- meditation, you know, people we see on Venice Beach just sitting in the right. sand with their eyes closed, is that Kabbalah is anchored uh, firmly in the Jewish tradition. Sure. Um, you are, you're not absolved of, of, you know, practicing rituals because you, you know, have elevated yourself to a, to a different level, let's just say. And, you know, when you, when you think of yourself uh, in, a, in a tradition— like I talked about before, in a tradition that includes, you know, uh, Abraham and Sarah and, you know, Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and, and, and Rachel and Leah and, and Moses and Aaron and Miriam and, and um, all, all of the great, you know, rabbis of the tradition. Um, it's, it's, it's humbling in Kabbalah uh, to think that you can even 
move up one realm of the ten spirot. Uh, and so in this way, you know, I, 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 the analogies that are used in terms of, in terms of understanding God, um, in Kabbalah, sometimes people talk about, um, uh, buckets uh, of water. So if you imagine a faucet high up in the air, that's spilling water, and then you put a bucket underneath it and that bucket, um, catches the water in its purest form, but then ultimately begins to spill over into a second bucket. And the second bucket has a little bit more residue mm-hmm. in it, it's a little bit dirtier. And then the third bucket, it overspills the second bucket and the third. The third has a little bit more sand at the bottom of the bucket, so it becomes a little bit you know, more residue and dirtier. And the fourth bucket and the fifth bucket. So then if you think we're drinking water out of the tenth bucket, mm. right? And then some of us get a glimpse of what the ninth bucket tastes like. Mm. Right, and then the, the eighth bucket, and, right, and we're right. elevating ourselves. Or if we think to ourselves, like in an old time vaudeville theater, you know, when they would when they'd open and close the curtain, sometimes it'd be like a black curtain and then a red curtain and then a yellow curtain, um, almost like the Johnny Carson Tonight Show had, right. had a bunch of curtains. Um, and you think to yourself, uh, you know, as I'm, I'm walking through curtains, you can more clearly see who's at where, what is on the other side of, the, of all of the curtains, right? With 10 curtains between you and the other side, you can't see anything. Right. But as you, as you get closer through the curtains, you begin to make out some kind of form, some kind of being that's on the other side. Um, and I, I think that those, you know, those analogies, they work for all of us. They work for any, any faith tradition that, um, you know, that, that, that wants to know uh, the goodness of, uh, of the creator of all. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. And, and it, was it safe? Would it be safe to say that, you know, you made a point of saying that the Jewish mystics don't walk away from Torah or the traditions, but in the same way, I think a lot of Christian, uh, mystics or Sufi mystics, whatever faith traditions, it doesn't, cause you to abandon, but it actually gives you a much deeper lens and a way to interpret those things that might have a higher or spiritual deeper interpretation than maybe just what's on the surface. Is that, is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it gives you a different, it gives me a different tool set. Mm. Right? So when I'm, when I'm speaking to a, uh, a congregant and the congregant is using God language like God is inside them mm-hmm. or God is steering them or right. uh, today a lot of people use the analogy of, uh, of the GPS, right? Um, uh, you make a wrong turn and the GPS says calculating, like waiting for you to correct yourself. Right. I, I think that's essentially mystical language. Hmm. That's, you know, people relate to mysticism today without even having studied it hmm. because people, people believe in individual relationships, you know, people are less, on the most part, people are less uh, apt to a message that um, they are bound to this tradition because their parents were bound to this tradition, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents, um, and and they're they're more compelled because they feel like it's meaningful to them, right? And so, mystical language builds that bond. Mm-hmm. Um, in a very personal way, and um, and so it gives the it gives people it gives me a different tool set to communicate the faith tradition to uh, uh, to the world. That's good, and and one thing the thread the common thread that I've seen 
over and over again um, from different mystics of, of different, whether it's early church fathers, whether it's, uh, you know, a lot of the, the early Jewish mystics, uh, was that there is this thread of divine love of a creator and a divine being that permeates every human being. And that when that mystic comes in contact, as you said, with that personal relationship and that love, it transforms them and it transforms the way they see the world forever. Uh, I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that, that I find fascinating, that common thread uh, amongst the different faiths. It's, I think you're 100% right. And I also think that, you know, if you use the analogy of water or if you can use the analogy of a prism, that we, you know, the, the, the light is broken down into so many different colors, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all looking at the different shades of light in the world. But to understand that all of this actually emanates from a single source, that when we're all put together, we actually form the pure mm-hmm. light that is the source of everything. I think then, then you become far more tolerant when you realize that other people in the world are, you know, bound up in the same pursuit of trying to know God. Right. Um, right. You know, and in, in, in all honesty, um, uh, the Jewish tradition is is much, is more focused, and, and this will probably lead into um, talking about uh, uh, going to school to get my PhD. But the Jewish tradition is more focused on your life in this world. I'm doing good deeds in this world. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm repairing this world. I'm leaving a world better for your children. Mm-hmm. Um, than it is in um, in being saved in some right. kind of in some kind of heaven hell you know binary paradigm right uh, afterlife mm-hmm. and so if you once you remove um, once you remove uh, afterlife justification for things a person really can judge with their own reason, um, whether or not they think something is working or not working, whether it's making their life better or not better, mm. whether, whether their family life is benefiting from doing this or, or not benefiting from doing this. Um, and, and I think that that, that, you know, individual reason is actually, uh, very helpful for, for all of us in, in terms of, oh, embracing, absolutely. in terms of embracing it and saying that that's, that that's real. And if it doesn't actually benefit your life, right, then we have to re-examine, um, you know, what purpose it serves. Is it, the, is this the process? The, uh, there's a, there's a phrase and you'll probably correct me if I say it wrong, but is it uh Tikkun Olam? Is, is that how you say it? Tikkun Olam is a, it's a, it's a good marketing tool today in Judaism. It means <laughs> uh, repairing the world. So yeah. people use it, people use it basically, as the Hebrew for social justice. Uh, and it's, it's a very powerful idea mm-hmm. um, that is absolutely caught on today in, in terms of young people um, uh, joining in, a, you know, in an effort to, uh, uh, to help with Tikkun Olam projects. So we do projects here in the synagogue um, and uh, you know, whether they benefit the community here in Los Angeles 
or whether they benefit our, you know, our brothers and sisters in, in, uh, in Israel. Um, we take on projects that, you know, we try to help others and, and, and all of it is, uh, it's our responsibility, you know, tikkun olam or repairing the world should yeah. be all of our responsibility. And, and I think it's interesting because, uh, it, and this is going to lead in, I think, into your PhD studies because I think there's some interesting news—not news, but I want to get caught up on what you're experiencing yeah. there. But um, you said that what's unique about Judaism is that um, you're more interested in about what's going on right now uh, versus many times Christians are talking about, like you said, this binary of you know uh, the afterlife and. Um, there's a there's a movement, and there's always been an undercurrent uh, uh, of different sects in Christianity who were more leaning toward a Jewish worldview, uh, who got that from Old Testament and Scripture, and saw God uh, more interested in in the creation. And there's there was a more modern Protestantism who had a more afterlife focus. And I think it boils down to, and tell me if you think this is right, when you see yourself as an individual and your relationship with God is all about a personal relationship with God, and many Protestants and many sects of Christianity make faith very, very personal, individualistic versus communal. Right. Um, and in the Jewish mind and Judaism, it's all about the nation. It's about Israel. It's about the community of individual people more than just a religion. It's who we are. It's our nationality. Um, and it's our tradition, our heritage. Uh, in the same way, when you're able to see a community of human beings and the community of your, your, your circle, your local community, your family, your state, and then ultimately the world, and begin to see that through that lens rather than just an individual, then all of a sudden today matters and uh, faith and God and the divine has real aspect on what happens around you versus I'm just focused on myself and what I get out of it and then ultimately where will I eject after I die. Uh, I think it has to do with the way you look at community. Right. So I think that so I use the, the language of family. Yep. Judaism is a is a um, it, it's it's less of a religion and more of a family. Yeah. So that's why um, you know I'll be walking through the airport in some other city and some other family from some other place in the world. Uh, they see me wearing a, a you know my my kippa or my yarmulke and um, on my head. And their kids are also wearing a uh, yarmulke, and we immediately feel connected, um, even though I don't know their names or where they're from or anything like that. Uh, it's because, you know, it's like seeing distant cousins. Um, right. And uh, and all of us, and that's what makes, you know, a, a Jewish community um, unique is that people feel like extended family with mm-hmm. one another, or that should be the goal is that we all feel like extended family. Now that has good points and bad points, right? Cause there's, there's a lot of times when people don't want to see their extended family. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I, I just think that has to be the goal for the Jewish people, um, mm. especially uh, as we become more of a people located in two uh, countries in the world, in mm. uh, the United States and Israel, mm-hmm. we need to understand that, you know, we are, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all cousins. 
Mm. And, um, you know, practicing in our own way, just in the same way that when we see our family on Thanksgiving, you know, and you catch up and so-and-so is, you know, taking a new job or so-and-so has moved to a new house or blah, blah, blah. And that doesn't negate their relationship to you as family. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's good. Um, you know, it, it, it is based on that. And at the same time, I think that part of the goal of Judaism or part of the part of what we should aspire to do now is to embrace, you know, we have to embrace individualism mm-hmm. uh, more and more. So yeah. I, I think ultimately, um, uh, you know, both every religion, every faith tradition has what to offer the world today and what to uh, strive to uh, uh, to appeal to its own constituency in in, in, uh, in this ever changing world. So, talk to me about okay. So, you went to um, to Jewish seminary. Now you're a rabbi. Now you decided to go on and get your PhD. Um, but that's more in a um, just a general college. Is it a is it a religious college? Is it a Christian college? Is it a Jewish college? Where did you end up going? No, I ended up going to a, um, I don't know, a secular university. It's called Claremont uh, mm-hmm. Graduate University. Okay. Um, there's uh, five uh, liberal arts schools. Uh, um, they call them the five C's in Claremont, California. And uh, it's about an, you know, 45 minutes hour drive. If there's traffic in L.A., it could be seven hours. Um, uh, that was a joke. Um, so... <laughs> So we actually not so much. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> you were out here. So, um, so I'm getting a PhD in religion, and um, I think the biggest challenge for me as a rabbi when I got out of rabbinical school is you spend five years in intense study, mm-hmm. uh, and you are ordained as a rabbi. And um, thank goodness I got a uh, I got a job here at Adat Shalom. And, uh, I love this community and, um, now where am I, how am I supposed to continue studying? Mm. Uh, you know, my, if, if I'm just sitting here in my office and I even trying to block out an hour, you know, um, a few times a week or an hour a day, uh, here in the office was impossible. Uh, you know, people see you in the office, they, and everybody wants to be friendly and I want to be friendly. I want to, you know, I want to answer emails. I want to. So, uh, my first year I took a week and traveled to Israel, uh, back to Israel with my family. And we have so many friends now from living in Jerusalem for a year that, uh, you know, the kids loved being there and I went to study for a week and then we vacationed for a week or so. Um, and then, you know, it was clear we're not going to be traveling to Jerusalem each summer for that, for, for an extended period of time. So where was I going to learn? And if I wanted to learn, what did I want to learn? And, um, and, uh, if I was gonna, and I realized there was so much that I hadn't read that I wish I had read. And that, that goes back to all of the different religious thinkers, Freud, Jung, um, uh, Geertz, Kant, uh, uh, Schleiermacher, um, you know, amazing. And just, uh, Paul Tillich, uh, Rudolf Otto, uh, Peter Berger. These are all people that I've read in the last year now. Um, and, wow, you've read uh, Till- you've read Tillich. Read Tillich, read Tillich. Yeah, yeah. You basically read everybody. I mean, him and Iliade. I feel like I'm reading everybody from the uh, <laughs> staff of the staff of University of Chicago School of Theology from the 1960s. Um, and and they're. I mean, 
this is the stuff that I was not exposed to in rabbinical school. And I would mm. argue that nobody's exposed to it in rabbinical school. Mm. Um, and, um, uh, because, you know, to teach, uh, a tradition of, of 3000 years to somebody in five years is a daunting task. Everything cannot be included. So I really enjoy reading these thinkers and reflecting back and, and thinking about, you know, what do they have to offer me? Um, sometimes it's a little bit, um, Sometimes I have to admit that it's a little bit difficult, uh, especially when you're talking about uh, German thinkers from the, from the <laughs> late 20th century, early 21st century. Um, it seems like there's almost a, uh, a predictable end of every book where the first, you know, six, seven chapters of a 10 chapter book, I'm, I'm, I'm on board and they're making good points. And then, you know, the end is, uh, is about how Christianity is just superior and Judaism uh, uh, is, you know, a, a child tradition. Um, right, right. You know, and and, but I think it's important for for me to also read them and to understand um, that they all, in fact, um, lived in a context, and that context actually informs, I think, a lot of the way that um, that we're blessed uh, as uh, as people of faith here in this country today. Um, I think that I think that a lot of you know. You know this, uh, the podcast uh, listeners might not, but uh, all four of my grandparents are survivors of the Holocaust. Uh, mm. I call them prevailers of the Shoah. Right. And um, to them, you know, they would say uh, a Christian or they would say, you know, a, a goy is a goy is a goy. They're all the same. Well, that comes from a lifetime of anti-Semitism. Mm. Um, and in, in, in my life, having traveled around this country, uh, spoken in churches, having met and spent time with wonderful people and wonderful families like yours, mm-hmm. um, I, I would say that that's, you know, that's not the reality in which we live today. And the question is, how did thinkers like Iliade and Paul Tillich and, and a lot of these thinkers transition into an American society out of a Europe that basically, you know, sought to, uh, sought to destroy, uh, to annihilate the Jewish people. So it, it's a lot of these, uh, the studies have really led me to, to big questions, um, and uh, and I really enjoy uh, my professors at Claremont, and I really love um, the students that I'm in class with. I'm, I think I'm either the only Jewish student or one of the only Jewish students, and um, and I find it fascinating. Basically, all of our conversations I find completely fascinating, and I learn just as much from you know my professors and uh, and my fellow students as I do from the thinkers that we're assigned to to read. Well, I'm sure they learn a lot from you too. I mean, that's always helpful. I I, I find, you know, you've heard it from my children's mouth um, when you you were here. Um, is they say, you know, I uh, my daughter Lauren says, you know, I grew up going to a Christian school and we study the Bible and we have Old Testament class, but none of my friends have ever met nor do they know a, a rabbi. Right. And I'm like, right. you know, she's like, how does that happen? Uh, and I'm sure in the same way you could say too. maybe growing up, maybe you never spent time with uh, a pastor. No, uh, never. And, never. and it's, I think it's a beautiful thing that, that you can engage on that level in a scholarly environment and really wrestle with these things to find out, you know, what, what you do believe and as in your own faith journey and as hopefully those people that are there can see things from your perspective because it's so helpful and it's so important. What what are the things that that you find as in your studies and, and as your continued studies and growth that um, 
that that you've walked away with that you that you didn't know you were going to find going into it? Wow, um, such a good question. Um, I think in these new studies in the PhD program, I've mm-hmm. learned a lot about. Um, I've learned so much about language. Um, I've learned mm. so much about how different faith traditions are seeking a language to discuss their theories, philosophies, theologies, whatever word we want to put in that place, and uh, their practice. Um, And I think that uh, part of the problem today is a failure of language in American society. Yes. I mean, I, I think that, you know, when, 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 when Lauren said that she'd, she'd never met a rabbi, right? And mm-hmm. uh, I think that uh, it's important, it's more important now than ever, actually, for us to meet one another and speak with one another because we're, we're so lazy that we think that tweets of 240 characters actually substitute for conversation. Mm. And we learn about one another by looking at each other's, you know, Facebook pages or uh, Instagram accounts. And, um, and none of that is a substitute for actual conversation, actual dialogue, thoughtful interaction, yes. meaningful relationship. And, and that's what um, we really need to make a concerted effort uh, to do today because it's just it's too easy for me to sit on my cell phone and, um, you know, and, and, and see that you are at uh, – the frothy monkey, or whatever it's called, great coffee. Um, right. And to see that to see that you're there, and, uh, um, and and you know everything is well. Uh, it takes a lot more effort for me to actually make a time to speak with you on the phone or Skype with you, FaceTime, yeah. and actually hear about how how your wife and kids are doing. And 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 that I think is crucial today. So, and this goes back to the very beginning. You know, we're so polarized. Um, we feel like we know what everybody is thinking when I think actually we don't at all. Um, mm. We just, you know, are, are, are far more judgmental and, um, uh, you know, we're, we're quick to judge based on 240 characters or whatever a headline might be. And um, we are, we're so inundated with stories that we very rarely get to know the story of our neighbors or, um, you know, the, the community right down the street from wherever we are. Yeah, that's so good because um, kind of take it a step further. And, and that that's a great point, Nolan. There's a um, there's a reporter and an author. His name is Jonathan Merritt. And he wrote a book uh, recently called Learning to Speak God from Scratch, Why Sacred Words Are Vanishing and How, to, how We Can Revive Them. And uh, his, his uh, kind of premise is that... Um, the words that we use, especially in um, religious circles and or um, faith traditions, have kind of lost their meaning in 2019 for various reasons. So we think we're saying the same thing. And like you said, so when, you know, someone in your congregation talks about, you know, uses the word God or uses language that traditionally has meant something else, um, it doesn't always necessarily mean the same thing. Right. Uh, it, because people have co-opted and, and hijacked so much of this and, it, and have attached 
political and national and all kinds of different uh, words to uh, meanings to it so that we then make assumptions so that when someone says a word, when they talk about faith or God or love or whatever it may be, um, we assume who they are and what they're communicating. And that's not always the case. Um, and that's what I th- why I think it's so important to sit down and, ha- like you said, have that face-to-face conversation because, like, like you said, maybe your parents or grandparents could say, oh, you know, I know what Christians are like. Or I can right. say, well, I know what Jewish people are like. Or I can know, I know what Democrats are like. Or I know what an illegal alien is like. Or whatever it may be that I put people in a box, but I really don't. Um, I haven't sat down and spent the time to engage and see things from their point of view and really understand um, what is being said, even though I hear the words, I don't really understand them. Right. And just because somebody is identified, I mean, this is, this is uh, such an important thing. And just because I am Jewish doesn't mean that I think, you know, exactly the same way as the, book you just read about Judaism, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, that goes for every category that, uh, that you just mentioned. Um, but that's what we do. And that's human nature. We categorize people as soon as we meet them. You know, you are Bob, you are tall from Nashville. And, you know, I, I come, I categorize you in my mind in terms of, um, ways to think about you in a very prepackaged way. And then when I get to know you, I actually know, oh, there's, there's far more nuance to Bob than, than just all of these boxes that I've checked. Uh, people are far less predictable uh, than we give ourselves credit for, and, and in, in a good way. And is that uh, those some of the things that, that – and I'm sure it's much deeper than that in your studies now as you surround yourself with people of, of various faiths that you're able to, to maybe peel back and understand and see a little bit more? I see. So in the PhD program, I think I'm surrounded by um, by seekers Mm. and I think I'm surrounded by people who have um, uh, fallen off uh, or fallen out of practice, let's just say. Right. Right. And uh, but they, they know a lot about religion. They just aren't interested in being, you know, in, in practicing, um, and they, they're fascinated by it, but just, they look at it differently. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in terms of, you know, um, becoming a scholar or, you know, getting a PhD in religion, um, the journeys, people's journeys are fascinating to me. Um, um, just like I was fascinated by people's journey to the rabbinate, just like I'm always fascinated by people's journey to whatever leadership position that they, that they've achieved. Uh, everybody has a story. Uh, and the story is, uh, is a life lesson. Um, and, and we all know life doesn't work in a straight line. That's right. And that, and that's what I think is, is so beautiful about this walk of faith, this walk of being human is that if we would give, uh, each other that much grace, um, and be willing to walk with each other through that, regardless of where we're coming from, we would find that that's the deep connection and that's what, you know, we all have in common. And I think maybe, just maybe, this is what the mystics were, were hinting at and, and touching on at a deep level is that's the core connection that we all have. I, I, I think that, 
you know, there's a wonderful story um, uh, in, in Midrash. Uh, there's a wonderful Midrash that the rabbis tell about how any creator uh, can make uh, a widget and it can make a thousand of the same widget, right? But only one creator can make at the same time a thousand widgets or a thousand human beings, right, that look totally different. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that's essentially, we're all trying to search for the same answers. Uh, uh, and when we begin to appreciate the fact that we're all on a very similar journey, um, I think that we'll, we'll, we'll be pointed in a much better direction, much better direction. I mean, we, we, we have to appreciate the fact that we're all different for a reason, and we all share much more in common than we do, you know, that sets us apart. Uh, and that speaks to the power of, like I said, like the, the creator, the mm. creator who created all of us with, you know, uh, different heights, different weights, different skin colors, different levels of uh, capacity for all kinds of things. And, uh, and yet we all live our lives searching for this, you know, very similar uh, types of answers. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Before we go, Nolan, what is it, um, not to put you on the spot, but what is it that you want people of other faiths to know about uh, Judaism and, and what you do and, and, and your tribe of people? If, if you were speaking, you know, we know what certain uh, brands of Christians would want to say to you, you know, they would want to try to evangelize you or they would want to you to try to understand about Jesus or they would want you to, you know, uh, challenge you on, on whatever. Um, and you know that that's not where I'm coming from, but I would love to just flip the co- tables and say, what is it that you would want people who are live, who are listening, who may not be Jewish to know about and to understand uh, and to hear most of all, because like you said, we don't understand, we don't listen. We use words that we think have, we understand their meaning, but we really don't. Um, how, how, what is it that you want people to know? So I, I mean, this is a, this is really a, a monumental question, but I'll answer it this way. Uh, I think Judaism is, um, is not a religion like other religions. Hmm. I think we, I think we are much more of a family. So I'll go back to that and discuss it in this way. We are a family that is bound together through, um, through our practices, through our food, through our language, uh, through our traditional language of Hebrew, through our songs, hmm. through our, uh, um, practice, um, through our dancing, uh, through our prayer books, through our argumentation, um, uh, Talmudic and contemporary. Some of us just like to argue. Um, and I think that, and I think that we've, we've been bound by locations mm. also, from all over the world. Mm. Um, in that way, I think it's very difficult for somebody who's raised in a religion that values doctrine right. at its core to look at Judaism and, and peg any community of Jews and say, well, why don't all of you do this thing? And mm. the answer is that's never been the case. We've mm. never all been monolithic that way. Mm. And so 
I would say that even from uh, the very, very beginning of, of Judaism, there were there were twelve sons and twelve tribes. Uh, I think that uh, that there's an important lesson, and that there's always been many streams of Judaism that have been flowing at the same time, and some of the most beautiful uh, periods of Jewish thought have sprouted from times when Jew, when different streams have uh, touched each other, like, like spots when, you know, um, uh, Joseph Caro, the father, the, the author of the, um, of the Shulchan Aruch or the, the, the canonized Jewish law and, um, and, um, uh, the Ari, uh, Isaac Luria, uh, the father of, uh, of, of Kabbalah mysticism mm. were essentially, um, living in the same place, teaching in the same place, practicing in the same place. And now they're buried right next to each other in the same, uh, cemetery there in spot in Northern Israel. Mm. And I think that, um, that for Jews, there is nothing, there, there's something very beautiful about that. And I, I hope and pray that it continues to be that way in Judaism. Um, but I see in, in the PhD program, especially that, you know, the Western academic process has begun to categorize these are world religions. And right. so Christianity believes in X. Islam believes in X. Judaism believes in X, right? And so, right. And, and, and what I'd like is I'd like to broaden Judaism out at the very least. Um, they should probably all be broadened out um, and, and, and far more world religions should be included than just those three um, uh, but I'm saying that just in terms of what somebody should recognize about Judaism is, is that we are, um, we are tribal and familial and different than, mm. um, than, than, uh, Christianity at, at our core. Yeah, no, that, that's a huge difference and it's such an important distinction because, you know, I can get together with. Christians, and I can go into an Anglican church, I can go into a Baptist church, I go to a charismatic church, I go anywhere in the world, and I can claim that this is my, quote, family because of our unity in the Spirit and our identification with Christ. But at the, at the very core, it's about what I believe in in a doctrinal stance, right? Like you said, it's not a, it's not a deep heritage of food and, like you said, uh, of traditions and music and all these things. It's more of, well, I, I, I'm very different than the Catholic Church uh, and the Methodist Church, but we have these like creeds that we can all agree on. We have this doctrinal statement that we can agree on. We can have the you know, there's two or three creeds that are pretty much universal in Christianity, but it all centers around what I believe versus who we are as individuals deeply. Um, and that, that's yeah, different. It is different. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Yeah, it's okay. Um, uh, Judaism is a tapestry, and mm. um, and I think the easiest, you know, the easiest issues to recognize today that form that tapestry, right, is, is you see that... Um, if you walked into our synagogue here in Los Angeles, services are conducted in Hebrew, and my sermon is delivered in English, and uh, my kids attend 
a Jewish day school where they spend half the day learning Hebrew. And we teach our kids to feel connected to the land of Israel and the state of Israel. And at the same time, we are very much Americans. Yeah. And we don't see any problem with any of that. And I, I think that all of us, you know, um, it's just one of the new kind of familial uh, uh, connections mm-hmm. um, or, you know, uh, familial you know, um, uh, ties that has arisen in this new, in the new Jewish reality of 2019. Um, and, and I, I think of it, uh, you know, so many of us carry so many different titles. Um, and I also think of it as like, we just observed Passover this past week, Passover Mm. Seder. Um, I think people have very strong feelings over what kind of haroset recipe you use. And that's <laughs> a very simple recipe uh, that involves apple and apples and wine and, and, and for some people nuts or uh, if I could tell you the amount of people who discuss what kind of haroset they serve, um, <laughs> uh, you know, we are bound to the recipes themselves, the food that, that, that is on the table, um, define us as much as the, uh, that is as much the ritual as the actual blessings that are offered at the table. So, you know, we are, it's, it's, a, it's a rich tapestry. It's a robust tapestry. It's a tapestry that should be welcoming to, um, to new members. Uh, it, should be, it should value our past and at the same time recognize that we are uh, uh, not complete. You know, we still need more weaving or if I take this analogy all the way to the nth degree, you know, we still need um, more sewing to go. We are a tapestry that is never complete. That's beautiful. And and I know when my daughter was there, you welcomed her into your services. Do, do you what is your in your stream? What what's your kind of position or philosophy or like, do you welcome Gentiles in? What what's your I mean, how do you guys feel about that? No, of course we 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 welcome non-Jewish people. Um, uh, oftentimes during the year, it's usually right around Thanksgiving time. Uh, local Catholic school here does a project on religions, and um, uh, I usually get a phone call right around Thanksgiving from a bunch of families that can they bring their kids in to meet with me, and um, they end up coming to services. And I always ask the kids, "So you're doing the Judaism report, right?" And they, yeah, <laughs> And I say, uh, did you did you win the lottery or did you lose the lottery? And they, you know, they, their parents laugh. They usually are, are you know, uh, much more serious. But um, I think that we we are a very welcoming community. I think most Jewish communities are very welcoming to outsiders. Um, uh, security is an issue and has sure. been an issue for a long time. Is increasingly a more important issue, uh, unfortunately. And so um, when somebody does have a bad experience in terms of trying to visit a new synagogue, I hope that they are a little bit understanding. Um, Sure. uh, And at the same time, I think that if somebody reaches out to a rabbi or a community in advance and says, I'd love to come on Friday night or Shabbat morning on Saturday, uh, I I really I don't think that there are very many communities I can think of that would say, you know, this is only for uh, Jewish people, only for insiders. Nations of the world were supposed to come to the Holy Temple mm, and make offerings. 
And so, you know, uh, I would hope that uh, if they could, you know, walk into the temple, uh, they could certainly walk into our, uh, our synagogues. That's beautiful. And, and, and you, are you unique, uh, Nolan, in that are you kind of a new generation that's welcoming and inclusive and, you know, you obviously lock arms in certain ways with other faiths? I mean, is that, is that unique or is that normal in your stream of, of faith? So I think that, uh, I think that it's, I think, I think that you are equally as you, as unique, Bob, uh, in the way that, um, I'll say from, from my side of the aisle, there are rabbis who, uh, specialize in, uh, rabbinic law. There are rabbis who choose Israel advocacy as their main passion. There are rabbis that choose, um, scholarship as their main passion. I've been blessed through uh, my filmmaking experience to get to know extraordinary people, um, uh, extraordinary Christian people in this country, um, and have been welcomed into churches that have shown my films uh, and had the opportunity to to teach and learn with those communities. Um, right. And so for that, for that reason, um, I think that there are a lot of rabbis who engage and participate in, um, in, uh, interfaith dialogue. I, I have been blessed, uh, not only to participate in interfaith dialogue, but to really build friendships, Hmm. um, with people like yourself Hmm. and, uh, and, and, and I'll always be grateful for that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I think that's a appropriate note to, to wind down on. Um, thank you so much for being, first of all, a good friend, but also, for for shining a light, um, you're a bright light, uh, not just in in West LA, but but I know um, that you shine your light in other places nationally and internationally. Which you know brings me to the point of how, how can people read your blogs? How can they get in touch with you if they wanted to? How can they, you know, where where what are your the places that people can learn more about Nolan? Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, the website here at the synagogue is Adat Shalom, A-D-A-T, Shalom is S-H-A-L-O-M-L-A, as in Los Angeles, dot org, Adat Shalom L-A dot org. And I'm on Facebook, uh, Rabbi Nolan Leibovitz, uh, L-E-B-O-V-I-T-Z. And I'm on Twitter at Rabbi Nolan, N-O-L-A-N. So um, I put all of my stuff up there and... Uh, 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 I started a, uh, a podcast in the fall um, that I took a little break from called uh, My Daily Offering. Um, we have a bunch of episodes there teaching, you know, daily inspirational messages. Um, so I, I love connecting with people and uh, uh, yeah, I would love it if people reached out. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And I hope people... Do go and check it out. I know you've done you do a lot of blogs and, and you write in other locations, so we really appreciate that. And thank you again for your time. And uh, if if anyone is in LA and they do want to to attend Rabbi Nolan Synagogue, you heard him say uh, doors are always open. So thank you for that. Thanks, Bob. Uh, you're the best. All right, talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.